Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Since 1986, the executive search firm of Harvey Hohauser & Associates in Troy, Michigan, has partnered with private, public, domestic, and international businesses and nonprofit organizations to help them find talented leaders to fill critical roles for their executive teams. I sat down with Eric Hohauser, the president and one of the second generation leaders of Harvey Hohauser and Associates, to talk about the unique perspective he has on, quote, familiness in business. I promise you nowhere else will you hear a discussion of elf hair and rule of five in one place. Stay tuned for that. I'm pleased to welcome my guest on Generation Excellence, Eric Hohauser. This is a very intimate uh, business, and I say it's an intimate business because it was founded in the bedroom of my father's home over 33 years ago. A year after uh, Harvey, my father, founded the business, we, uh, we promoted him to the dining room table. And a year after that, we've been in the same office building for 31 years. Um, you know, Harvey founded this business because if he were sitting here, he would tell you to feed his family. He had custody of three boys, my oldest brother, Jay, who was 18, my uh, next, my middle brother, next eldest brother, Todd, who's my partner and CEO, who was 14, and then I was eight. Um, he had been working with Comerica Bank, and as the story goes, he came home one night about 6.30, 7 o'clock, and we lived in a long ranch. And as he pulled in the U-shaped driveway, he saw a young lady dart out of the back door from my eldest brother's room. He came inside, sat down with my older brother, Jay, and he said, you know, what are you doing? You've got your girlfriend here. You know, you've got your two younger brothers. They look up to you. You shouldn't be doing, I don't know what you were doing, but you shouldn't have been doing it. And uh, he made the decision that night while cooking us dinner that he was going to resign from Comerica and do something different. He knew he couldn't leave at 5.30 or 6 a.m., and come home at 6.30 or 7 with two younger, you know, getting into adolescence uh, boys and having a full-blown teenager with raging hormones that couldn't control himself either. So he he resigned from Comerica. And I joke, and, and if Harvey were here, he would joke too that uh, Harvey was reporting to Gene Miller, who was the CEO and chairman. He sat with Gene, explained the same story I told you. And Gene said, Harvey, I hate to see you go, but I get it. Family first. Um, and Gene gave him a severance, and that severance actually seeded the company. I remember going out, and Dad bought a steel case desk, and he bought the steel case desk because it was all metal, and I could sit at the foot of it and play with magnets and other things, and I remember the Texas Instruments computer he got. I remember the, the dial-up modem. That, that was like pre-anybody having a modem in their home, but he was exposed to it at the bank and got one so he could talk to other people. And I remember him taking the phone and putting it on this thing. Yeah, it was... The noises, uh, yeah, the, the, the yeah, yeah. oh yeah. So who, who was the first client of Hohauser? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, this is going to test my knowledge. It's one of two. Okay. It was either uh, you uh, McClouth Steel or... Lafarge Concrete. 
It was one of two. And I could go up to my computer and pull up the records and tell you exactly. But it was it was one of two. Harvey, um, before Harvey started Harvey Hohauser and Associates, he worked for a firm called Cunnings and Labus, which did management consulting and, and retained executive search. And while there, they kind of taught him, Harv, you got to leverage your network. This is how you're going to grow business. Well, Harvey didn't really mesh culturally with those two guys. He worked with them for like 90 days. Um, when he came and he founded the business, he sat at his desk. And I remember he had one of those old flip Rolodexes. And my father was a master of networking. And he kept every business card, everybody's contact, and ha always had records of everything. Knew where people were. And he basically called all of the friends he had growing up in Elizabeth and Union, New Jersey, all of his college friends at Fairleigh Dickinson and his PhD alum through Case Western Reserve. And two of them were the heads of, and this, this dates everybody, they were the heads of labor or personnel sure. back then. They didn't call it human resources. Uh, they called it personnel. Right. You've seen, your business has seen all the changes. In yeah, you got it. Executive search, retaining search, yeah. Whatever yep. kind of stuff you so want to call it. one of those gentlemen was a guy by the name of Les White, and I'm pretty sure it was uh, uh, McLeod Steele. And Les was the head of personnel. And Les said, Harv, how are you? I haven't talked to you since the divorce. How are things going? And my father said, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. I, I started my own consultancy. It's retained executive search. And Les said, well, my God, your timing is perfect. We need six different people. Could you come up and see me? And that was the first customer. And I I even remember the first check that came to the house because Harvey was working with this company for six months and hadn't gotten paid. And I remember overhearing a phone call one night where he was saying, Les, the initial retainer hasn't come. And it had been it had been a months, a lot of work. And and I remember my dad saying, it's OK, I understand. Don't worry. But could you make sure, you know, now we're due for the second retainer. Two days, two or three days later, I remember sitting in the living room and he had big bay windows and I remember my dad, uh, we had just come home from school, I'm sitting there playing, and my dad, we had two front doors, and my dad went out one of them, and I watched him go to the mailbox, and I'm seeing him with the mail, you know, flipping through in his arm, and he immediately opens a letter and runs into the house, and he's like, get your coat on right now, get your shoes, we gotta go, and he, we drove right to the bank, and he deposited it, yeah. That's pretty good, it's like that framed first dollar. Yeah, right, right, mail. yeah, sure. So was the company called Harvey Hohauser and Associates from day one? From day one, yeah. So you, the kids, were even the associates? We were the associates, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's you funny. Yeah. He he did learn some things while at Comerica, sure. as well as working with uh, that firm Cunnings and Labus. Um, he, he learned that it's going to be harder for entities to want to do business with just a single shingle and though he had a great reputation, he felt by adding the associates made it sound and feel larger than it was. Right. Oh, definitely. So that's kind of why he did yeah, it. It's been that way since. Yeah, it's so been that way since. You, yeah. At what point do you recall then maybe the first business he started working with that was generational in nature or had that family dynamic or something oh, to kind of man. knowledgeable about that or? Well, shoot. So there wasn't there wasn't a plan to go after that kind of stuff that happened more naturally. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's a great question. So, gosh, a lot of the family businesses that my father first started working with that ultimately were the bedrocks and pillars that got this firm to where it is. 
Uh, they don't even exist anymore. Mm. They were bought out. Uh, they were merged. Um, but when Harvey first started, you know, McLeod Steel, U.S. Graphite, Lafarge, these were giant, uh, Axo Nobel, these are giant public companies. So back then, which is the mid-80s, it was all public company stuff. And it wasn't until about mid-90s, just past 95, 96, where he and my brother Todd, because Todd had joined the firm... Well, Todd had joined the firm in 1998. So they had done an analysis and, and learned that the public companies were, they weren't doing as much work with the public companies and more and more work with the private companies. And that's when Todd started to wrap his head around and, and really emphasize this, what we called the kind of like a paradigm shift. Right. Um, so sort of the first transformation. It was the first transformation. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. And historically, you know, if we worked with, in the beginning when Harvey had the firm, if we worked with 10 clients, you know, uh, in the very beginning, seven were public companies, three were private companies. And then as time went on, it would be six were public, four, and then five and five, and then four and six. And then so it, it got to a point. Now, today, we do anywhere from 25 to 30 searches a year. And I would tell you that, um, man, 85 to 90 percent are privately held and or multi-generational family businesses. The remaining uh, 20%, 20 to 20 to 10% are, are what we call family enterprises. And a family enterprise is where it can take on a couple different forms, but the two most prominent forms are the family no longer runs the business, but uh, executives run the business, uh, but the family still owns it. So you see this in family office environments or just very you know ultra net worth affluent families that the generations have gotten to a point where they don't want to run the business, other people do it. The other form of the family enterprise, which we work with, are publicly traded companies, like a Ford Motor Company, where the Ford family founded that business, grew that business, and it got to a certain point where named officers and other leaders were needed to continue this path. The family no longer runs it, but the family is one of the largest shareholder groups. The family has an active board seat, as well as head up all foundation or philanthropic endeavors. And I will tell you, Jamie, 60% of the publicly traded companies in America are family enterprises. Even students of business don't quite know how many, yeah. like the New York Times or things that are like that. Bingo, Walmart. Uh, yeah. yeah, and we, I could keep Johnson right. & Johnson. Right. I could keep some naming them. Work with, some yep, like that's them. right. Yeah, of course, of course. What, and what, uh, I mean, we're here in the Harvey Goldhauser and Associate offices. I, there's stuff on your walls. So yeah. is, is there that kind of founders phrase or motto or something that, <laughs> yeah the, the the rated pg versions yeah you know, all right well yeah what are some of those well, or we're, one of those yeah, we're lucky we're doing a podcast uh okay so my <laughs> father right. has yeah that's right my father has a lot of great sayings that are lore or heritage yeah. to our firm uh the first one is my father first of all is one of the most brilliant ahead of his time men and one, uh, you know, my father was my father, my mother, my mentor, my coach, my boss. Mm -hmm. Then I was his boss. Um, so he taught us a lot of things and he was truly ahead of his time. The first thing Harvey always taught us, even before we ever stepped foot in the business, was help people. The more you have, the more you give back. You know, you got to help people. It's all about helping people. Right. And help is help is defined by the individual who's coming to you asking for help. It's not the help that you think you can give. Sometimes that is, but most of the time it's 
in our business, in our business, we work for companies, not for people, right? We work for people within companies, but we don't represent candidates and pitch them to clients, the companies. The companies retain us and we go find very special people, but we're constantly being introduced and networked and referred to candidates that are looking to make a move or or have been given a pink slip uh, when they work for one of the very large uh, OEMs. And these folks have never had to look for a job before. And they're, they're scared shitless. And they don't know how to network. They don't know how to put resumes together. They've lived in a corporate culture that all they know is that fishbowl. So to spend time with these people and help them and connect them and, and coach them and advise them, it, it's a way t- to help um, beyond any philanthropic things we do. The other thing Harvey always taught us was surus and nachus. There's good times, there's bad times, there's ups, there's down, downs. You have to be like a leaf on a river. And sometimes the river is calm and straight. And sometimes it's a little bit fast that it takes an S shape. And other times there's rapids, but a leaf just keeps floating down the middle of that river. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, he, he had other things like the rule of fives. In our business, five, you got to meet with five. About rule of threes. Yeah, so okay. Rule so five. the rule of fives is our business, a lot of our business is referral driven through various trusted advisors and centers of influence. The rule of fives is you have to meet with five bankers, CPAs, attorneys, uh, business owners, and or other types of consultants, financial advisors, organizational design and development coaches. Um, You got to meet with the five a week. So to build your network, to build your relationships, because these people Harvey and I, Harvey and I amalgamated this and we came up with, they're the bumblebees of the business community. You know, the, the, the commercial banker that goes, that walks into my company, your company, and every one of our clients' company, they're going pollinating and cross-pollinating all these different companies. And, and all of that rule of five is really about the business development. Yeah, that's exactly right. While you're managing the searches you have. While we're managing the searches are, we have. And the other thing that played up on the fives was, it's all about relationships. Harvey would always say, you know, people do business with people. Yeah. And it's it. he would always say it doesn't matter if it was the roaring 20s and 30s or the lily white 40s or the 60s and 70s relationships that you have to create genuine, intimate, authentic, belly to belly relationships with people. So is your is your you said you work for companies, yeah. but you're helping them find really important yeah. So to find the right people for those companies, you got to understand that company's culture. Yeah. Yeah. Start with defining the comp- the culture of Harvey Hohauser Associates, and then and then talk about how you help, how you understand the culture of the companies yeah. that you're retained to work with. Okay. So the culture of our company is Elf Hair. It's E L F. H-A-I-R. I had to look down to make sure I spelled that right. Okay. Yeah, that's a tough one for me. Um, Elfair stands for, the E is for empowerment, the L is for learning, the F is for family, the H is for helping, the A is for adaptation, the I is for independence, and the R is for respect. My father would go to various events and conferences and seminars and even in our team meetings And he would write a really long word and see how many words he could make from that really long word. 
when Todd and I set out on redefining our values uh, five or so years ago, um, we came up with all these terms, empowerment, learning, family, respect, independence, adaptation, helping, and we're sitting in Todd's office and I looked at Todd, I said, you know what would be really cool is if we could create a word out of this to honor Harvey. Nice. And the word that we created was Elfair. The cooler thing about this was my brother and I are both geeks. I have the Lord of the Rings, Glamdring sword on the wall. Uh, Todd loves comic books and loved comic books growing up. Todd actually wrote a comic book when he was in college about an elf clan that... Um, the Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, con- yeah, you got it. You got it. So it had like this triple trifecta meaning, right? It was solidifying our values and what we all know and love and and and, and gravitate towards and embody. It honored Harvey because we could make a word out of it. And how serendipitous that Todd actually wrote a comic book about elf and their elves means, and their hair. It means something to you all. And so yeah. how do you take the pulse of the yes. firms you're at? And then they're big, these are big organizations. They are. They are. So we, so my father has a PhD in sociology. Todd has a bachelor's in psychology uh, and a master's degree, an MBA. I have a double major uh, bachelor's degree in anthropology, sociology, as well as a master's of science and management kind of organizational so design. literally and figuratively digging into Yeah, that's right. We, we are bad with whips. We're not archaeologists, we're anthropologists, but we have, the reason why I say all that is we have developed and continue to refine a proprietary process to go in to really dig into Mm -hmm. the values of a company, understand the behaviors that that define those values, and look to see and, and analyze and do an analysis of their culture. Are these people really living their values? What are the subcultures within the cultures? How do these how do these departments, if we're putting in a chief commercial officer or VP of sales, how does the CFO work with that? How does the head of engineering, how does the head of operations or COO, you know, understanding all those cultures because an engineering leader and their team has a different culture than the CFO and their team, but yet they all align to a broader corporate culture. So there's systems and wheels within wheels and our process, our due diligence is how we dig in. And I'd tell you that, but it'd be giving you the secret sauce. So, no, I'm not, no giving away the keys to the kingdom. You do all that, it generally works really well. One is we stay still in sort of the looking back portion. One, not, you know, mm-hmm. epic failure or something, yep. but just, just along that, that flow yep. of that leaf, what's one of those famous stories of something that just went either because of the economy or, or a client or something that went a little, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So on my bookshelf behind you, you'll see, you see the emblem, the Chrysler emblem there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the emblem that goes on the front of a Chrysler. Okay. Uh, the that's company. Like you hit somebody in the parking lot. Yeah. No, I... You know what? That's the Ford emblem up top. No, the uh, it would have a crack. That emblem came from a company, a private family business here in the state of Michigan, as well as had major facilities in Ohio. Um, I keep that on my bookshelf because that, that, emblem, that badge, is worth $47,956.48 because that's how much money was owed to us and never paid by a client that I did not follow our methodical process, Mm -hmm. that I made a mistake. 
I deviated from the process that was refined and works, and I keep that up to constantly remind me to to maintain integrity in that process, mm-hmm. never stray from it. And you know, Harvey always used to say, curse, like, "Yeah, no, oh, yeah." I just didn't keep the. Emblems. Well, I keep the emblem. Yeah, well, I keep the treasure. Yeah, you know. Um, Harvey always said, um, you're going to make mistakes. It's how you deal with the mistakes, how you learn from the mistakes. And uh, I keep that up as a constant reminder that this process works. My my father said something similar to myself and my sisters about you're going to make some mistakes. You know, try to keep them smaller. Yeah. And he he was a guy. He never really liked mistakes. And so you're sort of afraid to break eggs in in a business where you have to. Yeah. So you sort of stress and do that. So let's flow the leaf down the river ahead of time still floating it's still going okay look look down the road for this 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 business that you have because mm-hmm. you're celebrating milestones you want to celebrate future thank you ones. yeah what what do you what do you think what might it look like what are with technology moving the pace it moves i mean what, what do you think i mean you're still gonna be helping people but how yeah it gonna change um that's a great question so everybody's talking we'll about listen back on this and see if you're right or wrong yeah right <laughs> right everybody's talking about artificial intelligence ai and certainly you can't do anything in today's society and economy without AI touching it. AI is a potential market disruptor, but really where artificial intelligence is helping the recruiting industry is at different levels that we play. So the levels we play, you can't you can't just cold call or send an, an algorithm out to get CFOs and then get a list of CFOs and cold call them and expect them you have to create an immediacy of trust in 10 seconds yeah. or 10 minutes. That's virtually impossible. Artificial intelligence can't do that. So I'm not as concerned about that. What I am very concerned about is the societal and demo- demographic change. You know, being a sociologist and an anthropologist, I could tell you the baby boomer generation is leaving the workforce at an exponential rate. 10,000 retiring a week. And yeah, and there just aren't enough human beings in the next generation, the generation X, to take the place, as well as because of the ebbs and flows within the past 20 years of our of our uh, economy and various industries. Those that have come up, Generation X and even the next generation, the, the millennials and the next after that, which I think is Generation Z, they haven't gone through or, or been given the ability to go through some of the cyclical nature, some of the industry turns. They don't know the history and the heritage of certain industries where the skeletons are buried. And, um, and they're all the next generation within the past 20 years have been taught to do more with less. So innovations in let's just take enterprise resource planning technology, the software that that literally yeah. gives the data to run a business. These folks have seen tons of bolt-ons and innovations in the software updates, but none of them in the past 20 years, I shouldn't say none, a majority of them have never had to go through a full-blown put in an ERP system. Right. They've had to do an update. They've had to migrate to a new system. Even when you all started in the 80s into the 90s, was Bingo. the computerization of business. That's when everybody we went through it. Issues. Yeah. So typically we've had these conversations I have with people about looking ahead in the future, and they do start with, the concerns or the challenges, but yeah. then they get excited about stuff. So yeah. what are you really optimistic about? What are you excited about? Well, Jamie, that's a about? loaded question because you know I'm a, well, I, I get I pessimistic. Time time. Is, you know, what I'm, um, 
What I really am hopeful and what I really like seeing is the throwbacks. I like seeing colored jeans. First young lady I ever fell in love with wore red, red and pink blue jeans. I like seeing that. I like seeing the throwback and the millennial and the Z generation gravitating towards things that are handmade, mm-hmm. riding motorcycles, growing beards and growing mustaches and letting their freak flag fly because... So you're talking about them as individuals embracing some things that are from future and past. Yeah. Okay. They, see, I see it. I see some alchemy happening here where past, where my nephew, who's 26, has a leather-bound journal that was handmade. He bought it in Pittsburgh, uh, handmade at a local leather shop in Pittsburgh to other, what we'd classify as hipsters, created it. They graduated from uh, university there. And he spent, you know, 150 bucks on this leather-bound journal. He uses that leather-bound journal as much as he's using his iPhone. So I'm seeing alchemy of both come yeah. together. I really like that. You know, um, I like seeing that our generation, the Generation X, as well as um, the millennial generation. You commented on your shoes. Eric, do you know these shoes? I, we were talking about shoes before you got here. And those, are, those aren't all machine-made. Somebody, People right. are making that here. That's cool. Oh, I, I, I mean, I... Constantly yeah, people who actually make stuff. Right, you know, we make ideas and do ones and zeros. Yeah, one offs, but you know, making something great at scale. But I, I have such respect for that. Yeah, there's still people involved and technology yeah. and AI and yeah. robotics. Right, right. It's all that it's together. it's coming together. Where we saw this big paradigm shift of everything being commoditized, I'm now seeing, and I'm very optimistic, and seeing the artisan stuff being of value. Right, you go into the grocery store and you can buy a loaf of Wonder Bread for two bucks, two fifty, but you can buy a Zingerman's pumpernickel rye for seven ninety nine. And anybody who's ever ate Zingerman's pumpernickel rye knows that that's freaking good pumpernickel rye. It's better than the Pepperidge Farms pumpernickel rye, which is three ninety nine. I'm impressed that you know the prices right of both of those. Well, things. I was in the grocery business, man, so, yeah, right. and I always wanted to play prices right. So. Yeah, I, that's yeah. better than, than I could do. Yeah. Uh, so as you think about those who are going to come into this business and continue this on, whether family members or because you have experience with non-family leadership, mm-hmm. continuing Harvey Hohauser and Associates, what kind of uh, advice or guidance would you give yeah. those those? Those, those family folks. members, those family members or, or non-family Who, members. Whoever that might be that's leading this in the future. Yeah. You know, I go back I to mean, a lot of Are that. there some family members that may be yeah. the generation? Well, we have uh, Todd's son, Alaya, uh, my nephew, working in the business. And Alaya is going to... Oh, gonna, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's he's doing what we all did. He's starting in the back, off, mm-hmm. back shop, uh, back office, inputting resumes, real sexy stuff taking vast amounts of paper and putting it into our proprietary database. I'm being facetious. That is the worst job No, it's ever. starting in the mail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, um, so there's opportunity there, though. Here's the advice we give every family business as well as we give our yes. own family. It has to be your idea. Just because your father and uncle own mm-hmm. this business and just because you're a Hohauser doesn't mean you have to work here. And it doesn't give you any right to work here either. 
And we tell our family business clients that too, that that generation has to, it ha- one, it has to be their choice. Yes, I want to do it and here's why. Two, to your point, earn, here are the, the things, the process, the governance you need to even be evaluated. Harvey always told me, you can join the family business, it's your choice. You will get a degree. You will go get your ass kicked by somebody else for a certain amount of time. And then you will start at the lowest rung in the company doing what Elias oh, doing. Um, yeah, so we we also recognize that I don't have any children, though I practice often. Um, so right now we have Todd's children, our older brother Jay's children, which means the third generation could be a, it has a high potential to be a cousin consortium. Exactly. Right now you have two brothers who are doing it. The next generation, unless it's Aliyah or unless it's... And yet it's, you understand that well because you deal with that's right. that have gone through that. That's right. That. So the other thing we tell our family, we say the same things Harvey says to us. If you're interested, we're happy to talk to you so you can learn more. But, you know, it has to be your choice and you have to go get a degree and you have to get your butt kicked and learn from other companies and individuals. And the other is we need to maintain the ethos of an entrepreneurial spirit. That That is the little black box of our familyness advantage in every family firm, family business that exists. Their familyness advantage is, is, is being an entrepreneur. There's two types of entrepreneurs in my mind. There's a spectrum, but I'm there's... I'm sorry, I've taken this so long. No. We get to uh, Generation yeah. Excellence, familyness, and yeah. because yeah. it's a concept yeah. you kind of invented. And it's... Well, to some degree, I took okay. I took good ideas from other people, and and um, but the types of entrepreneurship is you have an entrepreneur who creates something, ideas. Right? It's similar to what you guys get paid. You're entrepreneurs every day, Jamie, in your business for other people's brands. It's, Hopefully, it's, yes. Yeah. The other is an intrapreneur. An entrepreneur creates ideas, creates a product, a service, and gets it from nothing to something. Okay. An intrapreneur looks internal to what makes the company great and packages that and stands behind that, looks internal to the company and what makes it great and props that up and says, that's who we are, that's what we're going to be, that's where we're going to kick ass and take names. That's our competitive advantage. That's our market differentiator. Sometimes it's already in the business, but as the business has grown, we have all these products and services we've lost and become blind to what actually makes us great. So what do you and Todd do to, because it's classic, the founders, then the second generation has more of that entrepreneur thing, breaking mm-hmm. some systems and process yeah. and professionalizing and all that. And then the next generation may go in different ways, but for yourself, your brother, what do you do to rekindle that entrepreneurial spirit to to stay energized, like yeah. what kinds of things. Do you, how do you charge yourself up and, and, and keep excited about yeah. this? Um, one selfishly, Todd and I are we're very aligned and we're very proud of what Harvey did. So, mean doing right for the families that we employ and we help to feed helps us keep that entrepreneurial drive um, and that refills the tank. Helping people refills the tank. Um, being a trusted advisor to clients where clients call me daily to talk to me about things that have nothing to do with strategic, cultural, retained executive search. They're calling me to talk about their banking relationships sure. or, you know, Eric, we used to use this 
so agency do, and like us as an advertising yeah. agency, you do a function, yeah. but you're the catalyst for a lot of other yeah. discussions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exciting, right? Yeah. And just given what I do, uh, at any given point in a quarter, a fiscal quarter, I'm exposed to on the low end five, on the high end nine totally different companies. I could be working with a company that makes chicken, that that processes chicken to be sold to you know, KFC or, okay. or Chick-fil-A, which is the new one. I'm a Roy Rogers fan, personally. Um, I could be working with a metal manufacturer. I could be working with a, a software company. I could be working with a capital equipment, not just a big Caterpillar machine, but Duzen or, or a machine that cuts metal or laser cuts metal. I'm exposed to so many different types of businesses at any given point, my juices are always stimulated. I have to learn something new. I'm bringing expertise to that company, and I have to, I have to understand the company where it falls in the industry. I have to understand the systems and the wheels within wheels. That is vastly stimulating. Sure. Um, so I'm fortunate. It's an occupational hazard that I get stimulated <laughs> yeah. every day. And, and, um, and, and so something I'm asking everybody as I do this this podcast because we're talking about family business, business and family, and that yeah. can be pretty all consuming. It can. And, and, uh, and then when you get together as a family, is it a dinner or a board meeting? Mm-hmm. All that? Mm-hmm. What, what is, what are some of your ways you get away from the business, clear your head, uh, recharge that kind of thing, just as, as an individual, you know, uh, well, I guess two things I wanted to comment on that. When you get together, is it a board meeting and sure. thing? Because that's something that Todd yeah, and I, you know, thank you. Uh, well, it's kind of like being on the Johnny Carson show. You know, Johnny Carson, he was the main man. I'm just a guest. so you know. um, And I want to come back. Um, right, right. So I'm being exactly. polite to the host. Yeah. For everybody who's listening, Jamie's chair is taller than mine. And for everybody um, who's listening, Eric's a fan of throwbacks, so his reference is Johnny Carson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, right. So, um, uh it's a balance. Todd and I, Todd and I are brothers. Shit, man, we take a vacation together. Okay. Two or three times a year. And it's inevitable we are okay with pulling ourselves aside when we're down the Jersey Shore and you know, floating in the waves talking about a client or business real quick. We're okay with that. We also have have established some Key words so we could put a boundary out. So you can get away without. So we can bingo. Yes, yeah. But we can also use one of our key words and know that now's not a time to talk business. Let's stay in the moment here. With the next generation, we're very, very cognizant not to do that because we we want them to see that there's family, business, and ownership three circles, right? And sometimes they overlap, and sometimes they're very distant. Um, So. We create boundaries. Um, With me, I, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm the same at home as I am in in the workplace. So to me, it's all one. I'm comfortable. Yeah. Uh, But there are natural stresses to leading a business, having that legacy, carrying on clients that you have. So how do you? What is your? What are your ways of coping with the stresses of? Piece of the business, yeah. The challenges that you know, I'm constantly evolving and learning here. I have a giant heart and I really care. Um, and I'm a vulnerable man, I own my shit, 
I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. I know I'm not for everybody. I know I can be rude and crude, and I know I can be dapper and polite. Um, it's hard, Jamie. That's a great question because I take for granted often, why don't they see it? Aren't they, don't they have good cognitive empathy? Aren't they self-aware and can self-manage? I take, I take that for granted because I know I do it. That's a hard Who's thing. Who's the they? The, the they would be our clients, clients. the candidates. Okay. Um, you, 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 you know, vulnerability is really hard. You, when you're vulnerable, you're going to get your feelings hurt. You are. Um, and I get my feelings hurt often. Um, that's why I have a picture of Kermit the Frog on and, the wall. And what do you mean when you say you get your feelings hurt? What, is that, what does that mean? You work, what? You're working with a family business and you, you, know, you know the 28 things that could be done that are probably right. But it's not my right to tell them. This okay, is what so needs to be done. You, they have it's to decide not that. You didn't get the search. No. Or the, the, it's, it's, Don't so they see it? There's so much more you could help them with or so much more they could do. Don't they, Don't they see it? Not, they could tell them how to run their business. It has to be their decision. It's not my job to tell them how. First of all, companies don't hire us to tell them how to run the business. They hire us to go recruit. Right. I will tell them how to recruit and assimilate culturally aligned executives because that's what you paid me for. But we, when we get into the guts, when we get elbow to elbow dirty with these families and you can't, if you are a practitioner with family businesses, if you don't like getting belly to belly, don't go there because you will be drawn in at the most intimate, visceral levels. You will get exposed to so much and you, I mean, I, I have degrees. I, you know, one of the degrees I didn't mention was my family enterprise degree. Um, I, I know the processes, the tools, I know the things that can be done to aid and help a family pull apart family from business. But unless that family says, I have pain and I need help with this, Eric, it's not my, it's not my responsibility to force it. Right. I did have a client once say to me, you can't protect us from ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They know they're fallible. Right. They're doing some things. Right. They have to. They're still trying to help them and do your, do your role. Yeah, the, the, the other piece of that vulnerability is I care a lot. I don't give a shit about the money we make. I care about doing the right thing. And that that'll work itself And that that'll work, work itself okay. out. That's it, a common thing. It's a very common thing. Yep, and with most family businesses. Let's do the, the long, right thing. Playing the long, playing the long game, game yeah. right? Um, and, and it's hard because in in professional services, Jamie, you know this, we have to produce results. Oh, yes. So, and we have businesses, and I'm very proud to feed the families, the nine families we employ. Um, and I know if I don't produce results. So it's this delicate balance because I get a call from one of our, our peer members who says, can you come in, sit in the advisory board? We need your juice, Eric. We need your help. Well, I'm not charging for that. He's asking for my help. That's a brother, man. Right. And this is... Generation Excellence, talking with Eric Kohauser of Kohauser Associates, I forgot to mention, we've been in an executive yep. peer group together. That's how we got to know each other yep. for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. It's going on 10 years. And, yeah. and so that's an extra board of advisors right. that we both have right. to really talk about some deep issues and watch those flows of the river currents mm-hmm. for these different business leaders. And many of them are generational businesses uh, yes, almost all yeah uh, yeah so, so that's a delicate balance jamie you so know what i mean we, we covered a lot of stuff i guess the first is 
is there anything that I didn't ask you or you'd like to, to kind of talk about just for uh, those people that are really either part of generational businesses or deal with or interface mm-hmm. with them that, uh, you know, you, words of wisdom kind of thing? Words of what man, if only people in my history knew someone was podcasting me asking for words of wisdom, they'd call you and there tell you, you you're crazy. You, you didn't your take you didn't take your medicine today, okay. Jamie. Be yourself. Find your own purpose. Work on your own personal values. What's the Oscar Wilde thing? Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. That's yeah, yeah but but Anybody who is thinking about joining their family's business, take time to get your constitution right. Take time to figure out who you are and what your unique purpose is. You know, I'll quote The Jerk, the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin, you know, has, sure. he had a special purpose, right? His mom taught him about his special purpose. Find your special purpose. Find your uniqueness. Be genuine. Be as the most genuine, authentic you you can be because that's... That's your compet- your personal competitive advantage, um, your personal differentiator. That's where you're going to get your strength, where you're going to rest your core. Um, the and other. So as you're doing some of the searches, have you helped individuals? Absolutely, that? absolutely. Those that say, Eric, I'd I mean, like, I, I'd as like a help. An ad guy would call that packaging. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised by how many senior people in business aren't able to do that either for no. the company they work for or for themselves yeah. well it's hard being vulnerable and and having you cognitive empathy you got to get naked man yeah. and that's tough and that's not for everybody it's kind of going you know the jahari window you know what you know you know what you don't know you don't know what you don't know there's an unknown going into the unknown can be very scary for people burying right. your soul is going to the unknown with somebody that can be scary I tend to reference that more for presenting. Yeah, sure. In front of a group yeah, sure. Ideas where yeah, you have to bear, you have to just you have to let it all let hang out. It comes out. Yeah. The other thing is to your point. I loved how you said play the long game, right? Relationships, helping people by being genuine and authentic, people are going to gravitate to you because mm-hmm. they're going to realize you, there's no BS here. This person's shooting straight, and and I like them because they're they're obviously comfortable with themselves. I want to get more comfortable okay. with them. But helping people, you know, in my bottom desk drawer, Jamie, I have two folders. They're filled to the gills with every thank you letter, every card, every note anybody has ever sent me saying, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for networking. Just thank yous. And help people and create your own thank you file folder because you're going to get, you're going to get your ass handed to you. I think think there's people out there. Be happy to know that you have that drawer that maybe they wrote one of those. And You're darn there. right. I, I've gotten them and I do them. I just have them maybe chronicled and kept them. Under well, I don't have them in chronological yeah. order, but I have I have them. And yeah, I the days where I've gotten my ass handed to me, the days where I feel ridden hard and hung up wet to dry, I sit in my office and I tell the folks I just need a couple minutes and I open that drawer and I just pull cards so and I start reading them. Getting away or getting yeah, grounded. that's that's another that way that. to get get grounded. In full so. disclosure, I've given you know guests on on this Generation Excellence podcast kind of some of the framing questions to talk about or be prepared. Yeah, and then have just a couple of like wild ones. Hit me! To, I like the to, wild to, ones. To, to uh, that I don't send in advance just to, just to have some fun <laughs> and, and close this out. So 
what's the, the other than food, what's the last thing that you just bought with either cash or credit? Oh my so gosh. Purchase. Maybe it's that Wonder Bread or Artisan Bread. Oh, you know what it was? You mean personally? Yeah. Steaks for my yard. I, I, I am a stickler. I love snow blowing my driveway. I have a giant not, driveway. Not steaks, not, not, sta- eat, not steaks, steaks that you eat, steaks in the ground. Okay. I bought a brand new, I bought brand new orange 48 inch steaks so I don't rip up my my grass when I snow blow. Good plan. Yeah, so that was and my wife is like we have so many it looks like Disneyland and where you're supposed to park in our yard in our driveway and I'm like but babe it makes me happy. She goes I know. So I'm sitting there <laughs> interviewing you. Yet you probably do way more interviews than I've ever done because you're screening candidates, you're talking to people. So yeah. you you have questions, you have uh, a process to kind of get mm-hmm. things out of people. I have a uh, a file where I've got kind of the go-to questions. I ask hey, your discovery. And then, and then I have added to that over time by asking people in every interview, what is the strangest interview question they've ever been asked yeah. so that I can get more. Okay. So what, from a client that's 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 considering retaining Harvey Hohauser and so mm-hmm. what's, what, what's the strange question that someone's asked you? Oh, that's thinking of doing business yeah. with us? They don't. We're a candidate. That's they, you know what I will tell you? We're the ones who are asking the strange questions. Okay. We, they so aren't, so they aren't, they aren't as comfortable yet to Got ask it. those okay. questions. Okay. Now we get them there, and then they start then bearing they start. their soul. So what's one you've asked them? What's something that you, you get to test test people a little bit? Yeah, stuff? so I have a couple. I have a couple... I have my own discovery questions to understand an individual's personal values and, and culture, but some of the the more unorthodox would be, you know the game Rock, Paper, Scissors, Jamie? Sure. Okay, you know it's Rock, Paper, Scissors, so you know how to play it. One, two, three, shoot, right? Yep, you got it. So I want you to think of one in your head, Rock, Paper, Scissors. Okay. You got it in your head? Don't tell me. Got you it. got it? Yep. Is it Rock? Yes. That's an interview question. Interesting. Yeah, it sure is. How about this one, Jamie? It tells you something. It sure does. What color is this piece of paper I'm holding up? White. What color is my shirt? White. What do cows drink? Water. Ah, water. Yeah, you. So you took your time to answer. So, so I. So most people say milk. Um, Those are just some of the oddball questions. We were There's some, yeah. <laughs> no, we weren't. Um, but it tells me how you systematize logic and think, right? Mm-hmm. How the, the 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 synopses in your brain are working, right? And you you are pragmatic and you're disciplined. So I held up a color. I pointed to my shirt. Most people would go white. Cows drink milk. Got it. But you actually s- slowed down for a second. You put thought because your your discipline and what people pay you to do in your firm is to think for them about how to position something. Yeah, you no, get that's, what that's I mean? Point. You're trying to think on your feet and be quick, but but not. I mean, well, you know our yeah, our, I do. Our model is yeah. thing too. Right, so right. So you you are living and, and, and part this, of your this, values. I, and I guess this podcast is living part of that value too, yeah. which is getting to to listen. So mm-hmm. close us out here on yeah. this episode of Generation Excellence with whatever your final thoughts are about uh, family and business or familiness and, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, maybe be the, the starter of what we talk about in the future. I am infinitely proud of family and family business. 
Um, I wear a bracelet that on one side says family and on the other side says remember. Um, it's hard being in a family business. It takes work. Being in a family business, you work with your sister, you've worked with your father. I mean, yeah, two sisters, I apologize. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Take your take the time to develop the right relationship with your siblings, with your cousins, with your with your parents, with generation one to generation two or three to take that time to develop the right relationship with them and and honor the family and honor that no, relationship. That's great, because part of my doing this podcast is because when you get the opportunity to interact with multiple family businesses, you realize you're not alone. No, no. And I'm hoping some listeners of this hear some things in your interview and others where you go, yeah, we're dealing with that. I mm-hmm. thought it was just us. Or, yeah, no. Or, or, or you can talk about it. A lot of those, a lot of those same issues, same problems transcend many different family businesses geographically and in and apply to and all industries and apply to all industries or to all businesses. And the reality, here's the reality. There are 5.5 million privately held companies in America. More than half of that 5.5 million are companies that are over 100 million in revenue. Some get up to multiple billions and, and larger. That represents over 60% of our nation's GDP. In fact, private family businesses represent developed and developing nations, almost over 57% of every developing and developed nation on the planet's GDP. It's 70% of our nation's taxable revenue. It employs over 75% of the nation's workforce. It 95% of charitable and philanthropic endeavors are at the hands of private family business owners. These are the most passionate, community-involved individuals and and systems you can imagine. They are the fabric and backbone of every country on this planet. If you're thinking about family business and thinking about joining your family business or starting one with you and your spouse or you and your brother, do it and work on your relationships and go through the hard stuff because it makes you stronger and it makes our country and our community stronger. Well, that's great stuff, Eric. You know your business. Yeah, thank you. You know yourself. Yeah. And I mean, there's really got, got to leave it at that. I, I thank you for being on Generation Excellence. And uh, this is Jamie Michelson. We'll see you on the next episode. You're welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Generation Excellence is hosted by me, Jamie Michelson, with help from SMZers Eric Freiberger, Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienfeld. Thanks also to Randy and his team at Stage 3 Audio. Thank you for listening, and please give some of the other episodes a try. One more thing. If you have comments or a suggested future guest, please don't be afraid to contact me.